depth of every moment. And keep in mind, this is a, this is a, a, a series, about five or six sermons, give or take a little bit. And each message is designed to be a standalone teaching. So you can absolutely take something out of this today and bring it with you throughout the rest of your week. But I want to encourage you to, to listen to them all if you haven't, because this is also designed to sort of give us a, a sequence, if you will, a, a theological logic that helps us to understand the importance of time. All of our messages are recorded and they're online. I encourage you to check those out and to meditate on this one today, because this series is really aimed at helping us to really identify whether or not we as individuals, we as families, our culture at large, actually has a true time problem in life. This is a big thing in our world today. Busyness and just kind of being scattered to the wind, our lives being pulled in all directions. These, these are normative things people say they feel now, okay, on a regular basis. The point of this series is to help us to figure out whether or not we have a true time problem in life or if we've created a problem because we're not applying Jesus' wisdom, message that we gave two weeks ago, to the 1,440 minutes God has given us each day to glorify him, to make the most of every moment. That's what glorifying God means. Making the most of every moment, listening to the voice of Jesus, and really having the type of life he wants you to have. A life that's abundant, a life that's filled with goodness and grace, a life that is defined by joy, peace, and purpose. Now, we've looked at several teachings in this scripture about time, and we'll look at a few more before it's over. But the underlying theme, the thread that ties all this together, is one singular truth. If we exclude Jesus from our time management process, if we look at our calendars and our world without Jesus, for those of us who are in Jesus as Christians, this is the point of this, is to think about time from the angle of our God. What happens is when we exclude Jesus from that process, we'll likely keep managing our time by addressing the tyranny of the urgent, that which is put before us, what life says you must do immediately, and preference those are the two things that typically drive the car in life when we are not mindful of time. It's, it's an evidence that time owns us, not the other way around. Those things, the urgent and preference, not Christ's wisdom, become the driving force behind what we do with our time. Now, on the contrary, the wisdom of Jesus challenges us to do something very important, to put the first things first in life, to be more concerned with asking God if you're using your time in a way that you're making the most of every God-given opportunity rather than just striving for efficiency. This is what I talked about the first week. Efficiency is what most people understand time management to be. How can I pack more into my day? And we are for efficiency here. I said it every week. But we want to make sure that what we are efficient in is actually what is most fruitful for our lives and the spheres of influence we have. That's a different question. Doing more is the byproduct of being more efficient. Doing what is wise is a, different, it's a different strategy, which very honestly will likely help us to do more in the areas that matter most in life. That's what the wisdom of Jesus does, is it creates a new pathway for us, one that's more meaningful for God in our world. And so today we're going to keep pressing into this truth. The two that we read from Ephesians 5 and Matthew 6, these are the driving teachings, the driving verses from the Apostle Paul and Jesus that really help us to understand time. And I want to continue to talk about what it means to live with our time at the center of life. Like, we, we essentially are at a place where we're glorifying God with our time. Everything we do is coming out of that. And glorifying God simply means we are at a place in life where he is incredibly meaningful and significant to us. That's all that it means to glorify God. We live as if God really matters to us. And remember, I said this last week, living like this is not the place we start at in life. In a room this size and with you know, students and kids all around us, it is very likely we are all at very different places when it comes to time. So this, these teachings are not meant to kind of set an ideal that make us feel bad. It's meant to set a kingdom ethic that helps us to understand the way God wants us to be. 
It's not a penalty message as much as it is reminding us, trying to become aware of the places we should be with the Lord when it comes to time. So we don't start here. We arrive here when we actually let the Lord be the Lord of our time, when we practice that and process that and pray over that and try to apply it to life. And this leads me to the only truth I want to share with you this morning. There's one idea we'll bounce around, and it picks up where we left off last week. It fulfills the promise I made to you last week. This is the idea I promised we talk about. If you want to make the most of every moment in your life, and that's our hope, obviously, that you really want to live for God's goodness and you want to, you want to live with purpose and meaning in your life, you want fruitfulness, not busyness to define you, then you must stop trying to include God in your time and accept the invitation to be included in his time. This is the root issue here. To live with Jesus at the center of your life, to live with him being the Lord of your time, means that we have to understand time from the perspective of God and we've got to get on his terms with it. As opposed to doing what we normally do, or we're very inclined to do, and that is we look at time from, a, from the perspective of what culture says it should be, and then we ask God to fit into it. Two very different ways of understanding time. And this is a, you know, a Christian church, so our concern is that we have a Christian ethic when it comes to time. Now, one of the greatest falsities with time management is thinking you don't have enough time in life to accomplish what you need to do. And I'm sure if you had like a bag of rotten tomatoes in your seat, you'd throw them at me right now. Because a lot of us are thinking, man, my life is so busy, I'm always wishing I had more time. And I want to say that the reason this is false is because every person has the same amount of time in a day. Some people make great use of it, and others do not. That's just the reality of it. Some of us are striving to make good use of it. Some of us don't care about it. There's all kinds of opinions on how to manage time. And so what I want to say is it's very convenient, and I think a real problem if we defer the fault of time management to time itself. Time is not an infinite commodity, at least for us, right? So when we say it's time's fault, we're never going to grow out of this problem. Time is something we have to learn to deal with. It's a set boundary for us. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. You don't get to go to your boss and say, I need two more days this year to get my sales quote up. It doesn't work that way. You do it in 365 or there's a consequence or some type of an issue, right? My point here is that we must realize time is not the problem. What we choose to make a priority of in our time is where the crux of the matter is. Now, I once heard another pastor describe this reality. This is a good friend of mine in Orlando. And he was talking about Christian generosity. He was talking about money. And he said, no one, it's, it's kind of a good parallel here, so follow me for a moment. He said, no one on this planet can say that they know someone who is not generous now, we might be thinking, man, I know somebody in life who's incredibly stingy. You know, they only care about themselves. And he went on to say that even if this person isn't generous, even if they are a selfish person, he said they're still generous. Because ironically, even a selfish person practices rhythms of generosity. They just choose to be generous with themselves at the expense of other people. They are incredibly generous just when it's about them, right? Where the life of, Christ of Christianity, the life of pursuing Jesus, often calls us to get outside of those walls. What we're having to do is, is recognize that God wants us to be mindful of the needs of people around us. And so generosity is either an inward thing or it's an outward thing or a combination of both. And that's really what it should be. I'm not saying we should not care about ourselves. I'm just saying if we only care about ourselves, we're missing the point of what we mean by generous. This is a priority issue is what it is. And the same is true with our time. We all have plenty of it. We just have to make sure we're investing it in wise and good areas of life. It isn't that it's too busy. It's just a matter of whether or not we're, we're productive and fruitful in the things that, that God desires us to be engaging. And so to prove this, I want to return. We looked at this three weeks ago, and I want to revisit this today with some of the teachings we have under our belt and with some of the truths we're going to talk about today. 
to prove this, I want to return and dig a little deeper into these two time pie charts we looked at earlier in this series. These are life charts, okay? This first life chart represents a person who is trying to include God in their time. This is what we're trying to stay away from. This is the person who says, God, I've got, you know, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, and I want to figure out how to squeeze you into them. Now, the image on the screen behind me reflects a pretty accurate breakdown of a person's week. And in it, we can see every person has 168 hours. And although I can't list every time category on a chart like this, it's fair to say that what is on this chart is pretty universal to the life we live in America, to the life we live in our culture, and the things that place the greatest demands on our time. So look behind me really quick. I'll explain briefly. The biggest chunk of time, about 89 hours, give or take a little bit, is, is basically prescribed to lifestyle, sleep, and play. And keep in mind, 64 hours of that is just sleeping alone. That's, that's based on eight-hour days. Some of you sleep four hours. Some of you are not here today because you're still sleeping. And when you listen to this tonight, you need to know, you need to adjust this time category, right? This is the point I'm making. Is the, I'm not saying it's an exact number, but it's pretty accurate that science says we should have about eight hours of sleep a night. Then you throw in some lifestyle, play, your hobbies and affinities, and it's not too hard to tack 15 to 20 hours on that pretty quickly. Then there's our jobs, the second largest pie, a piece of the pie. That's a 50 to 60 hour venture for most of us this week, uh, most of us in life. And that can be a little lower some weeks and a lot higher some weeks. That's the way that the world works pretty much right now. There's the home life, our chores, homework with kids, caring for our spouse, whatever it is we're doing, there's the stuff that goes on at home, cleaning the house, all these things that sort of have to be in order, that takes up about 14 hours, usually an hour or two a day, give or take a little bit. Then there's church ministry and devotion, and this is the thing we're talking about here, because I want to sort of debunk the idea that this is just a thing we do like in sequence with the, with the rest of our lives. Church ministry and devotion simply says what the average person is contributing to their faith. Like the time we spend in the Bible or praying, serving a neighbor, worshiping here on Sunday, getting engaged in a community group. I mean, do the math on that. Five hours adds up pretty quickly. And for a great many people, that's about the extent of how they see their, their life in Jesus. It's a, a five-hour sliver of their life. And then there is miscellaneous, just because I'm sure you guys are all doing stuff that I don't know about. So you can just throw that number in there. That's a few hours to get us through that home. Okay? Now, let's think about this. Even though this person attempts to have a place for God in their heart, and they really do, it's never the place he truly deserves. This chart is the opposite of what it means to seek God's kingdom first, which is what Matthew teaches us, and let it define your priorities. Because this person seeks to establish their own priorities in life, and then they try to squeeze God into them. And when you think about this in light of what we spoke about last week, the command to glorify God with all of our time, this first life reflects a person that's going to have a very hard time glorifying God because they have divided their life up into compartments. And what happens is God gets a segment of their life. So they're going to try to glorify him in that segment, but they're going to largely live their lives unaware of the fact that in everything else we're doing, God wants a seat at the table. He wants to have a purpose for us in those things. He wants to be present in those things. And so what happens is when we do not see life like this, we usually start making things, our compartments, based on preference and the tyranny of the urgent. I like to use that term, the tyranny of the urgent, because it simply means it is an iron fist that rules life, the urgent. This simply means we almost always feel busy because we're wired to jump at the immediate and pressing issues that life hands us. But the challenge here is we never, oh, the problem is, we never really take the time to ask if we're busy in the right things when it comes to those tasks. And so this is the person whose purpose in life is really to get to the next event. We, we hop event to event or crisis to crisis. If you look at the theology of time in the Bible, it's often referred to as seasons. 
But what happens here is we see life in minutes, not even hours, minutes. We're just so myopic in what's going on that we forget. Every minute we plan today shapes a season for us tomorrow. And while this person with really good intentions makes a margin in their life for God, at best God gets a few hours a week and at worst no time because remember this is a sliding scale. When the work week comes at 70 hours, the devotion to Jesus might fade. Or we might you know, step away from household responsibilities or not see our kids this week. Whatever it is, it's a sliding scale depending on how these categories move. Because the engine driving the first things in life is not Christ in his wisdom. It's usually a lifestyle, a certain lifestyle. And I want to explain what I mean by that because we're not against lifestyle here. I just want to talk about a problem in lifestyle that can really torpedo the submarine when, it talks about, when we talk about worshiping God well and living meaningful lives. Lifestyle our expectations of it, usually looks a little different for everyone. But the root, predominantly now, okay, the root of it in our part of the world is usually not different. It's almost always driven by a desire to seek comfort in life. Now, comfort is one of the biggest motivational factors for why we as people do what we do in the Western world with our time. And I've talked about comfort before. There's nothing wrong with comfort. But when it becomes the God we serve, it's going to cause us to love our real God a little less. Now think about this. Just think about the general wisdoms of the world we live in today. We're told, told to work hard all, all, over, all of our lives so we can retire, right? Nothing wrong with working hard and retiring. I hope to do that one day. We're told to pay our dues now so we can play later. In other words, you know, grind it out today so you can do a little, little less tomorrow. Even in Christianity, many people choose to follow Jesus. I shared tons of examples of this over the years. They choose to follow Jesus because at some place in life, they've been told that he's going to make their life super easy and take all their problems away. And Jesus actually does promise to make our yoke in life easy. He promises to make things easier, but not necessarily based on the way we expect. There can also be some challenges in following Jesus and immeasurable rewards. And so what happens is in our lives, in our faith, in our workplaces, in our families, whatever it is, the stars of our lives orbit around the sun of comfort. This is what I said last week about, about glory. Glory is sort of like what the stars of your life orbit around. What is at the center of your life? And when it comes to comfort, if comfort is at the center of our lives, Jesus will not be. And so what happens is we hope to get a job that provides a comfortable life. We build a home and a life to be comfortable. We find hobbies and social circles that make us comfortable. Listen to me. I have railed on golf a ton in this room. You know I cannot stand, stand golf. But I played golf last week, and I was surprisingly comforted when I did it. It was awesome, right? Comfort drives what we do. We pick things because we like them. And if we're a Christian, here's where it gets challenging. If we're a Christian, we will fit a little Jesus in when comfort is at the root of who we are. So long as he too supports the comfort lifestyle. But the problem is there are days when we follow Jesus where things are not comfortable. And so what happens is when comfort is the sun, S-U-N, we will remove him from our lives when he detracts from that lifestyle, which is inevitable. It's a first things first issue. And so this person's time philosophy is really to get all of the stuff that really matters in life in order first, based on the urgent and the preference. And then they try to squeeze a little Jesus into that. They squeeze a little church going into the mix. They squeeze a little ministry into the mix. They squeeze serving another into the mix. And if there's anything left over with our time or our resources or our money, we will then give that or devote that to God because he's sort of a, he's, he's a priority in the scheme of things, but he's a priority that is based on cultural research, a modest one. Jesus is sort of the recipient of our leftovers in life. And the way you can know if you are living for the glory of comfort 
is by asking yourself, what is the main question that drives your life? My life too. What is the question that we think about every day, whether we have penned it on paper this way or it's just sort of an, an, an inner drive that, that shapes everything we do in life? Ask yourself if, what the main question is. Is it how do I set myself up for a secure future? Nothing wrong with that. We're about secure futures. We're about planning for the future. Or is it how do I live my life in a way to hear Jesus say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. There are two ideas here. The first simply says that I am going to set up my life, do everything in my minutes today in order to be very comfortable tomorrow. The second says I'm not against setting up my life today or figuring out how to have a a meaningful end of life today, tomorrow, wherever, whatever the future looks like. But the difference is that we're asking this question from the angle of, of God approving of that. And I promise you, if the second question is driving your life, if the question of how do, I, how do I honor God in everything I do, how do I live for him to say you're a good and a faithful servant when we stand before him, that first question is going to get addressed. There is no way when you apply the wisdom of Jesus to your life that he is not going to be concerned with your future. He's going to speak into that too. I promise that. But I want you to know the same is not true the other way around. When we are so concerned with our future, excluded from God, it is highly unlikely that in our future we'll have a, a, a place, a meaningful place at our table for our Lord. And so what I mean is if you're just using your time to advance your own causes in life, you will likely restrict Jesus from some incredibly important areas of your life. And this is what I like to call kingdom compartmentalization. It's what this first life chart represents. We segment things up as opposed to what I think Scripture really teaches, and that is kingdom integration. That is inviting God into every area of our life. And compartmentalization is always at the root of a time problem, whether it's in the Christian world or outside of it, because at some point there are no more compartments left. The time structure doesn't change, 1,440 minutes. And so what happens is our lives are sort of like a revolving wheel. Compartments are coming and going, depending on what we can cram into that wheel. And when we live like this, if we live like this, Jesus' wisdom only has access to a handful of areas of our life, the ones we invite him into. And this is going to create a time imbalance. It's going to cause us to understand time in a different way. We will, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul. We will have amazing careers at the expense of our family. Or maybe we won't invest in our careers, what we need to. We've, We've not really recognized the purpose God has for us in our vocations. No matter what it is on that chart, likely something's going to get robbed because we're not seeing it through the lens of God. His eyes. That's the first chart. The second life chart reflects a person who is trying to accept the invitation to be included in God's time. Just a subtle change of what is highlighted in black. One is a sliver. Now we see that sort of the life of a person is, is encapsulated. It's sitting in the shell of who Jesus is. He's framing life. Now, although these two folks have the same responsibilities, they see them very differently. They don't see pursuing Jesus as a piece of life's pie, making the most of every moment. They don't see it as getting to this place where the God, God's kingdom priorities, Matthew 6, have defined life. And now we're figuring out what all these things look like within that context. We, we, here we see sort of this as a pie crust, right? We're, we're trying to understand that Jesus is a, he makes the bowl of life that we live in. He helps us to understand what glorifying God is. Remember, glorifying God simply means to make God an incredibly significant and meaningful person in your life. And in doing so, what happens is he will reorient all of these other areas around him and his purposes. And they are benevolent purposes. We talked about that last week. 
God wants you to succeed in these areas. God wants you to be a good husband or wife or parent or sibling, boyfriend, girlfriend, student, whatever it is. God wants us representing him well in these areas. So when Jesus speaks into those areas, it's very likely we will represent him well in them. He begins to reorient all areas of life around him and helps us to define what the first things in life actually are. And when we know what matters most, we will be able to make the most of every moment of our life rather than having time tell us what matters most and it dictating to us what we need to be doing every day of the week, every moment of the day. So listen, if you really want to tackle a time problem, you've got to start asking God to help you see life like this through his lens. Because when Jesus becomes the shell shaping what you do, as opposed to being someone that you just give a piece of your life to, all of these things are going to change. They're going to start bleeding into each other. You're going to realize God wants a space in all of these areas of your life. He's going to start changing us because we're going to be growing in him. That's what happens. And here's why. As you create clear life priorities rooted in Jesus' wisdom, which is available to us in all kinds of ways, in his word, studying the Bible and the way we pray with him and the community we have with each other. Sometimes the most profound things that I have that have shaped my life have been the way it's the way people have spoken to me. They said things to me that just they're game changing thoughts based on God's wisdom. God's wisdom is available to us in I mean just about every area of life. And he promises us in James if we're looking for it, he's going to give it to us freely and abundantly. So I don't want wisdom to be this niche thing. I want you to know it's out there and God has put it in front of us in a, in a ton of ways. When we let that counsel rule our life, when we speak to people that we trust with a proven track record in this area, when we look to those who are further down the road from us who are wise in their time, what happens is we'll begin to understand what matters most in life and what doesn't matter at all. And in this way, we can all learn some pretty amazing things from each other, no matter where we are in life, at the beginning of it, the middle or the end of it. There are things we have learned about living on this earth. And every single one of us, whether we like it or not, has to deal with time. And so when we grow in Jesus by learning from each other, trusted sources, something pretty powerful can happen. We start inviting God into the spaces of our life that he wants to speak into. And this is important to do because because the one who's created us now is shaping life. God knows us better than anybody. He knows our needs better than anybody. And when we invite him into these spaces, it becomes very impossible. It's, it actually is impossible to compartmentalize and isolate him. I promise you, you might even attempt to, but if you are close to Jesus, he is going to show you that. He's going to remind you of the fact that he is not where he needs to be in an area of your life or mine. On the contrary, if we, if we live by this first chart, what happens is, is we compound the busyness problem. We compound the time problem because we are shaped by expectations and pressures, the tyranny of the urgent. We live in a world, think about this, where everything is now presented to us as urgent and immediate. I, don't, I have a, a you know, 10-year-old Mazda, and I love it, but every time I watch a new car commercial, I'm like, dang, I need, I need a new car, urgent, immediate. i got to go to Toyota right now. They're giving away $25 Walmart gift cards if I go. Everything is like, do it now. Jump into the world, right? Everything is presented as urgent and immediate. And sometimes that can be true. There are things in life that are urgent and immediate. But I want to say more times than not, things are not as urgent and immediate as they are presented to us. And over time, that subversive pressure can fatigue us. It will fatigue us. We live in an urgency incubator. And so my prayer for us is that this day we would change that. We would ask God to help us break that cycle if we're struggling with it. 
At this day, we'd plant a different flag on the hill of our time. We'd, we'd migrate towards a different end game. One that says, from here on out, I want to rest in Jesus' truth about my time. Resting does not incline laziness. It means I'm going to have a peace about the way I use my time. When we do that, we can say things like, I want to be a productive and fruitful member of society. I want to be a vibrant member of my church family, a gospel partner. I want to be a valuable worker in my workplace. I want to be a good student. I want a great career, wherever it is. I want to be a committed parent or friend. We can still want all that stuff. We can just build it now in a way where those rhythms in our life, they actually don't contribute to fruitless busyness and break us. Rather, those areas of life actually start to become what we want them to be. We don't go after those things and get ourselves in an early grave or wreck the very relationships that we're trying to be fruitful in. We're going to break the cycle of fruitless busyness in those areas. And when we live like this, when we live in the compartment, okay, it is the evidence of a problem. It is the, the, the signs of this will be a life ruled by the next crisis or event. The raging seas of life push you and I where they want to, and they often drown the voice of Jesus out. Big waves are louder than the voice of Jesus most of the time in our lives. And so in order to see change in this area, when it comes, whatever it comes our way, we have to identify what it is we're living for when it comes to our time. You have to sort of set a goal about how you want to see time. And it, is, it revolves around a question, a serious one, that I'd like you to think on today and this week. Do you want your life to be ruled by the tyranny of the urgent or the peace and joy of Jesus? Do you want your life to be ruled by the tyranny of the urgent or the peace and joy of Jesus? Chances are, if your life is being ruled by the urgent right now, you've not asked this question. Because the urgent doesn't care what you think. It just tells you what you need to think. And so if you're here saying, you know, peace and joy are a better option for me than tyrannical urgency, then you'll want to listen up as we, how, as we proceed. Here's how we're going to begin wrapping it up. If you, if you want what I want, and that is the continued presence of God in my life on the ladder, I want the peace and joy of God, then, then there's, a, there's something we have to do. To avoid the tyranny of the urgent, we must learn to focus on Jesus with the same intensity as we often give the urgent. It's like an urgency swap. You just have to say, I'm so ruled by the urgent right now, I, this is what speaks into my life every day, that I've got to take that drive, that emphasis, that, that passion to follow the urgent, and just start looking at Jesus in the same way. Now, please hear me here. I am not arguing that to get a grip on our time requires us to be negligent in our daily responsibilities. I'm not arguing that it requires us to, in the name of Jesus, to, to check out from the world God has placed us in. You know we are praying about a building, but that building will not include a restoration commune. That's not where we're going. We want you in your world. That's where God puts you. We want to be together here, but we want us out there serving God. Please don't hear me speaking something that I'm not saying here. It's far from it. I would say applying Jesus' wisdom to our time priorities will actually create a deeper sense of commitment in what God leads us to in life. This will make us more committed people because we will be committed in the things God desires most from us and for us. So the point I'm making is that Christ-centered time management requires a practical self-realization that living for God's glory in our time, making the most of every moment with our minutes to find joy in life it isn't the kind of thing we have to fabricate. I'm not saying we don't have to work at it, but I'm saying we, we don't have to fabricate it. This is really a matter of recentering our lives, of letting Jesus recenter and unleash the desire he's already put in us. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, then Jesus has put this desire in you. That's why you chose to follow him. 
And so my point here is, rather than thinking we've got to make this up on our own apart from the power of God, what if we recognize that the desire we have to find and know and grow in Jesus, that's something he's already placed in us now. And now we get to press into the reality of what he's already done in our life. He's already put it there. So you've got to ask yourself, what are you doing right now that's plugging up that dam? What is it that we sort of layered on the top of that desire that has caused us to not see or experience it anymore? In both Ephesians and Matthew, Jesus and Paul are both saying, no matter how busy life seems right now, the reality of our situation is that we've already been given everything we need to shed the shackles of that bondage. Because life in Jesus means we are free. That's what it means. He has put sin in the grave so we can be free. And anything that is a byproduct of that, whether it's, you know, sin is causing us to lose years in our life because we're so stressed out about stuff or we're so bound by the urgent, he wants, to, he wants us to remain free in those things. And so compartmentalized living is an evidence that we've essentially reshackled ourselves. And when that happens, our focus on the first things of life, what matters most, they're going to be robbed. And the, the end game of this, obviously the thing we want to avoid is Focusing on the wrong things for extended seasons and waking up one day looking back on that and saying that I can't change that. Like, my kids don't know me. That doesn't change. Like, once that happens, that happens. I'm not saying you can't grow and you can't work towards reconciliation, but what if we sort of sorted this out on the front end of these things that matter most to us? Let me give you an example of this. Uh, This week, I was sent a TED Talk uh, by one of our congregants from a successful writer named Laura Vanderkam who writes about time management. And she put this whole thing in perspective. And this is coming from the business world now, okay? And she shared this interesting story about how common it is for people who say they have no time, like none, to find time for stuff when it really matters to them. Highly professional world. In her talk, she shared the story of a successful executive and mother who clearly had a slew of responsibility in her life. She's essentially running a company and helping to raise a family. And she said that one week... Keep in mind, executives plan their weeks out. She had a pipe burst in her home. And she said this woman in life, in all areas, had a clear sense of what she needed to do with her time to remain successful in both her job and in her home. And as a result, she did not have a ton of free time. She did not have, like, hours laying around to address this issue. However, when the pipe broke, it required her to reorient her life around a very serious priority. My house is flooding, obviously. Her home. And so in the midst of a thoroughly planned out week, it's already mapped out. She had to make several phone calls to insurance. She had to arrange and supervise a cleanup crew to come out and deal with the mess. Uh, This whole process, you can imagine this. We live in a place where there are hurricanes. We've probably had to deal with insurance claims. That is not a convenient or easy thing to do. And it took seven hours that week to get all this stuff done, from phone call to uh, crews cleaning up and all the stuff that just took to stabilize the pipe problem. And this is a week, seven hours in a week that's already been mapped out. So the speaker went on to say, Think about this. Think about what would happen if we had 25 hours a day, seven hours a week, extra hours, right? That's what it was required of this woman. What, she couldn't fabricate or make up seven extra hours. She couldn't add a, fifth, a 25th hour to the day. Think about how much more we could do with an extra hour a day. And her point was, how does a person with so much success and responsibility, with no time, add another seven hours to her week to solve a major problem like this? Well, the answer is clearly she didn't. You can't add time to your life. It doesn't work that way. We've already established that. However, when you have a clear priority in your life, it creates an unrivaled direction for you to invest your time and energy into what matters most in your life. There were things on her calendar that got pushed to the back seat because things that were 
legitimately pressing or perhaps more first matter issues, took, they took the day. And that time discipline is exactly what we're talking about here when it comes to letting Jesus shape and reshape how you see what you do with your time and with my time too. We've got to figure out where is the broken pipe. If you want to manage the urgent and not have it manage you, you have to focus your attention on the priorities Jesus has for your life first and then let those things shape the other spaces of your life. If you want to find peace and purpose and productivity in your life and your time, like God promises we can have and should have, then we've got to sort of war against some of the increasingly scattered and compartmentalized ideas we're often presented in life. Because it's sort of caused a great many of us to develop a form of like spiritual ADD. We have a, a, an attention issue when it comes to focusing on God. Because one, or God, we can say it this way, God becomes one of the many things a person looks to in order to find fullness in life, as opposed to being the only person who looks, we look to who then sort of tells us where fullness really is in life. And a distracted life like that looks like this. It tends to look like this. Think about this. Here's what kind of a spiritual attention issue looks like. We show up here on Sunday and we connect with God for a brief moment or maybe even your CGs throughout the week. You know, God does something powerful through this time of worship. You have a time epiphany. Maybe you're writing stuff down right now and God's telling you what to do. You know which pie chart you're living in. You got, you got that figured out. You're ready to make a change. And then you leave this place and all that clarity gets drowned out by the demands of Monday because, you know, your boss or if you are the boss, they're not going to care about what we said today. So that, just that, that wave comes in and, 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 and moves your boat in a different direction. Or maybe you try to stay focused on God, but your feelings, your friends, your commitments, your health, your jobs, family, social plans, whatever, always seem to elbow their way back into the center of your heart, consequently elbowing God out. What happens is Jesus' wisdom starts to look more like a, a ball of tangled yarn. This is the illustration I like to use here. Think about this picture. You ever seen a knotted up ball of yarn? That's sort of what God's priorities and wisdom looks like. And you just take a big mess of, of, of knotted up wool of yarn and you, you lay it on top of your life and try to push it into it and see how that goes. It goes nowhere. Probably get choked. Rather, uh, seeing God as like a single thread defining everything we do, like a linear thread that moves through everything in life, that's a different way to see wisdom. And so if your life feels like this, tangled yarn, please know you're going to miss out on the reality that God is with you and the peace that comes with having him confidently steer you through the craziness of life. And the bottom line in all of this is when you're truly focused on Jesus, living for the glory of God with your time is not about compartmentalization and competing for events. It's not about seeing where you push the pie. It's about letting Jesus weave himself into the tapestry of your life and events. It's not sliding the scale. It's letting Jesus sort of have his say in all those things. He weaves himself into the tapestry of your life. And so as we, we wrap up, I want to leave you with some serious questions to think about this week. These are questions that I hope you will take a picture of, write down. If you don't get them today, you can let us know. We'll let you know what they are. I think it's, you know, email, text, whatever. These are great questions for you to think about, and they will sort of become a primer for what we're going to talk about next week. I want you to ask God to create some space in your life this week, whether that's in a room by yourself, or you think about these things as you go about your daily business. Make a space for this, because it's impossible. Remember, as we talk about this, these things are not the kinds of things we hear on one week and then do. It's impossible, very, very likely, for most of us to start here right now, especially if you have a busyness problem. 
When you seek and rest in Jesus, when it comes to your time, you arrive here. These are rhythms we strive for. You start to develop the keen ability to recognize where there are, there's a million things in life we can be doing, right? That's what wisdom says to us. We realize from a compartmental space, we can put a lot of stuff on our life wheel. But there's really only, when you look at what Scripture teaches, there's really only four areas that God calls us to invest our lives into. And there's a lot of things that come out of these areas, but these are the headers that I think will be good for us to think about this week. And we'll revisit them in more depth next week. I like to call these life rhythms. These are, this is a word we use a lot at Restoration. Rhythms, because rhythms signify uh, sort of a tune in life that we naturally dance to. That's what we want these things to be. So here are the questions. Think about them as we begin to move into response. The first is this. Are you making the most of every moment when it comes to Jesus' mission in your life and in the world? So obviously, Matthew 6 is teaching this very thing here. When we talk about time and life and priorities, we have to ask the question, when it comes to God being meaningful and significant in our lives, is, are his priorities a part of our life? Are you taking seriously what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow him? And are you taking seriously the, the, the call to make disciples, to invest in people? In other words, I like to say this very simply this way. Is somebody investing in your life right now? And are you investing in somebody's life? That's what it means to be a disciple and to make one. And God can do some amazing things through, through us being humble enough to learn from somebody and being committed enough to help somebody grow in the faith. I promise you, if Jesus is shaping your life, this will be a priority for you. Secondly, are you making the most of every moment with your family? Now, this truth is especially true if you're a parent. Because Jesus wants moms and dads, I am one, I'm a dad in this room, to, to never forget that as we talk about his cosmic plan, I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in a church where I was told, like, God wants to change the world. And I keep thinking about that. It's pretty powerful. He wants us to change the world. But I want to make sure that we never forget in our course of changing the world that we forget perhaps the most important world God has put right in front of us. When I say make disciples, that means other countries. That means up the road. That means everywhere. But don't forget that the, the disciples God puts in the lap of a parent are our kids. In God's cosmic plan of making disciples of all nations, of every tribe and every tongue, the place where we will likely have the most impact is going to be in our own tribe. It's in the way we pour into our children and help them to grow up and love Jesus. It's the way we invest in each other as spouses. I promise if Jesus is shaping your life, you will make this a priority. You at least will desire it to be a priority. You don't necessarily start here, but we can arrive here. Are you making the most of every moment at your job or school? Remember, work, vocation, education, God has designed these things. We're supposed to delight in them. That's actually what the Bible says. We should not be in bondage to these things. So to be a witness for him in your work, in your life right now, if, if that is such a burdened idea, if time has frustrated you so much, if busyness has become an idol, then what happens is there's likely evidence of an integration issue here. Because you don't see Jesus in your work. And when you don't, a lot of the values of God's kingdom are going to fade away. I promise you, wherever you are, there is a reason God has put you there. He has. And in many ways, he's gifted you to do something in your, your career, in your school, wherever it is, in a place that us, we, we as other people cannot do. You're there for a reason. I'm here for a reason. You're there for a reason. And if we actually own that, God would do some pretty powerful things through us. And I promise you, caring about that in the way God does will be a priority for you if he's shaping your life. Work will not just be something you do and then you get to your devotion. Work is a form of devotion in the way that we love God. 
Lastly, are you making the most of every moment when it comes to how you rest? Now, I am a highly caffeinated New Yorker. Resting does not come naturally to me. If you know me, I, I tend to have two modes, 100 and zero. But the older I'm getting, I'm gonna, about to be 42, I'm, it's more like 105. Like it's, I get tired some days now. It's kind of funny. And this idea of rest has become more prevalent to me than ever in life because I'm trying to figure out how to rest well, okay, because this is something God wants for us. So remember, God works hard and rests. That's the first picture we have of him. He is working to do amazing things in the world for six days. And then he says, and on the seventh day, we need a little bit of Sabbath time. Now, I'm not arguing for the fact that there's a a literal seventh-day Sabbath. Our world is too sloppy for that. Um, It would be great if everybody worked five days and had two days off. That's not how it is for a great many of us. What I'm arguing for is the theological idea of rest, the idea that we need to have spaces for it within the, the context of the world we're living in. Because even Jesus himself works hard and rests. And so rest and leisure are a normal and necessary part of life. And scripture speaks about both of them quite a bit. We'll talk a little bit about this next week. And so when we say rest, we're not talking about sprinting and collapsing. That's not resting. That's called having a stroke and dying. We're talking about resting with the long haul. Think about the minutes of rest now that create moments and seasons for the rest of your life. We're talking about rest that's fruitful and productive, not being an end in and of itself, comfort living. That, you know, rest unchecked is comfort living. It's essentially like, you know, us on the beach with our little, I don't even know, I don't go to the beach a lot, but uh, you're on the beach essentially just sleeping all day. That's not what rest means. God wants some fruitfulness in our lives too. It's resting to the point where we understand continuing to run the faith of God, uh, the, excuse me, the race of faith God has set before us. And I promise you, if Jesus is shaping your life, rest will matter, but it won't trump God's purposes for you. Neither will God's, you won't see your life as a, as a utility either. God's purposes for you are going to be more clear. You'll recognize one of, one of the values of rest, honestly, is it creates humility in us. When we rest, what we're literally saying is the world, because we believe God oversees it, the world will move on even if I sleep right now. It will. I will wake up and the world will still be doing its thing. It causes us to trust more deeply. So don't remove rest from your life in your efforts to change the world. Now, next week, we're going to look at these rhythms in our lives to get a better feel for where we are or aren't with them. And so please let God speak into these questions this week. Don't just leave here, you know, having thought about this. I'm really asking you guys to pray about this this week. Because how we answer them will either stand as an evidence that we have a a true desire to live for God's glory, to make the most of every moment in our lives, or they will stand as an evidence that we might have compartmentalized areas of our lives. And the reason we're stressed is because our areas are competing for our time. So as we move into response time, ask yourself, which pie chart better reflects your life? Which is more indicative of how you see your life now? Is Jesus the thread that, that ties your life together? Or is he a tangled ball of yarn sitting on the top of your life right now? Ask yourself, when it comes to making the most of every moment with your time, what is Jesus saying to you? What has he said to you? What will he say to you this week? And what is it you will do about it as he leads you to a next step with him? Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a a great time of of hanging out with people, of worshiping, of learning about you. Uh, In a few moments, we will move back into our worlds and our lives. And I just pray, Lord, as we as we literally jump back into the very reality we are trying to figure out how to get a handle on, the lives you've given us and the world we live in, I pray, Lord, that you would write these words, these truths on our hearts in a way that we cannot walk away from. I pray, Lord, in your goodness and your grace, you would illuminate this week the areas of our lives where we have room to grow, 
I pray, God, that you would show us grace, God, in the areas where we might even be failing you in this. We know, God, you show us grace so that we can become more like you, so we can become refashioned into your image. And so my prayer, Lord, today is that if we've recognized we are, we are managing our time well, well, then I pray, God, that we would be humble enough to ask you to protect that in our lives. But if we've come to the conclusion we have an area to grow, I pray we would know that the posture of our God, of our Father in heaven, is one of love and care. And what you want for us to know is that you want to help us get to that place. So may we seek you now, God. May we lay it all before you and ask you, God, to speak into our hearts, define our lives. Help us to think, pray, and process all of this as we move into a time of response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So listen, in less than five minutes,